Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. This morning, I want to take a little time uh, to, this is part A, and next week is part B. I know many of you will be out of town next week, but um, uh, hopefully you can, um, uh, you'd be interested enough to at least uh, listen to it on the podcast. Um, on the idea of miracles, we spent a year talking about following Jesus here, and it just seems like um, a big part of his life and ministry was uh, the role of miracles in his life, and I, I just wanted to spend some time looking at it both today and and next week. This week, specifically looking at miracles, and next week looking at what would it look like to to just live in traffic kind of in the uh, supernatural bit. So so that's where I want to go. I know that um, many of you uh, knew that I was in a motorcycle accident in September, and I appreciate your prayers. Um, I'm doing well enough. My wife says that I must have hit my head harder because I bought another motorcycle. So uh, anyway, I, I do appreciate your uh, prayers, and we're um, back and able to, um, to, to back at work. My... Um, my question every once in a while is, did you see God working in that? And the answer is absolutely. I mean, even just, I had a, um, uh, a guy that, went, when I fell off the bike, there was a guy that <clears throat> came up to me and said, you need to go to the um, ER. And I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And he goes, no, I, I ride bikes, and I got in a wreck, and I didn't go, and, and I have had a, an incident for the last couple of years. So I went to the ER, and, and uh, while I was there, I kind of um, uh, crashed as far as, you know, being in shock and everything. So, I mean, just even having somebody encourage me to go there rather than, you know, like, I... Uh, um, I, I just happened on 6th and Davis, so I just called the front desk and said, hey, could somebody at work pick me up? You know, I was just going to keep coming in because I had an appointment. But um, uh, anyway, I, I see the hand of God all through that. But I'm hesitant to call it a miracle because um, miracle is kind of like a... Um, a class all by itself that's designed to point to the glory of God. You know, it's designed to be awe-inspiring so that, that it would produce in us a sense of awe and wonder that, that we would respond to God as, as who he is rather than just simply grateful for a gift. And that's why you know, I, I want to make sure that you hear both sides of this because I'm not saying... God doesn't do miracles today. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for miracles. What I'd love to think is that a church that's open and a church that practices and traffics in the supernatural has things like we do where elders have healing prayer times after a service or during a service in in our prayer space and people who want prayer are invited to go pray and the elders pray in faith. And at the same time, we develop um, ministries for disability people. And, and so that we're on both sides of the equation, uh, open to letting God do whatever he wants and trusting that he will. And on the places where he doesn't um, cause a miracle, that he's already done a miracle in some people, allowing them to express compassion and care uh, in ways that they wouldn't necessarily if they didn't know Jesus. And so that's a bit of, of uh, where I want to go. 
Um, I'm hesitant about the word miracle because we want to talk about it in everything. You, you watch a football game, a guy catches a play, a, a pass on a last play, a last minute of the game, and it's a touchdown, they win the game, and somebody goes, it's a miracle. And I don't hear anybody going, and Jesus was sent from God. I mean, it isn't a miracle. It didn't point to who God is and what he's done. It just simply was a, an unusual thing. You know, I mean, and, but we live in that kind of amped up world, don't we? We live in a place where Burger King makes a sandwich and calls it awesome. God creates the earth and calls it good. You know, uh, it, it seems like, why, why do we have to go there? Uh, it just seems like um, we could say God worked. In fact, um, in Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus' ministry, and he says, this salvation that Jesus provided for us, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. That's eyewitnesses. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. When we look at those words, sign simply means an affirming evidence. John calls uh, all the miracles that he lists that Jesus does signs. They, They are an affirming evidence that simply Jesus is who he claims to be. That when he says, the Father has sent me Here's a miracle that shows that I have a power from above, a, a way of being able to affirm. The word wonder is supposed to leave us with wonder, not wondering what happened, but with the wonder of God. And the various miracles, the word simply means various dunamis, various, we get our word dynamite, various expressions of power. So even in that word, even in those verses where we would lift that out and go, I want that. There wasn't a word miracle in there. And, and so we have a tendency to have this word that leans in us into some expectations that, that God hasn't necessarily said, here's what I want you to trust. I don't want you to trust miracles. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust that I can do miracles, but I want you to understand why I would do a miracle. And that's what I want to look at today. So even in the book of John, when we look at uh, Nicodemus, who at the time is investigating faith, Jesus calls him a religious leader of all of Israel. He comes to Jesus by night to kind of get a conversation and maybe not even getting caught for being quite as curious as he was. But in John chapter 3, it describes it this way. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. I mean, Nicodemus understood the purpose of the signs, to understand no one could do these things unless God were with him. He saw God in that. He, he was willing to trust. He was willing to, in a sense, wrestle with his own discomfort and say, I need to know what this looks like. I need to know what it is. And he moves into trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's about. Yet Jesus isn't simply a miracle worker who's saying, you like that one, watch this one. He goes right for Nicodemus' soul and says, you need to be born again, and talks to him about what that would look like, that, that he would make a recalibration from a world that was managed to a world of wonder. And, and that's the engagement that Jesus invites each one of us to. 
James Randi is a, um, a magician turned uh, skeptic who uh, offers a million dollars to anyone who can demonstrate to him that they have psychic power or can perform a miracle in, in, in front of him. And time and time again, he's actually debunked uh, several people claiming psychic powers. In fact, uh, several years ago, he was instrumental in um, sh exposing the fraud of uh, a faith healer. Uh, his name was Peter Popoff. And um, uh, Peter had this uh, healing ministry that people would crowd the buildings to come to. And uh, he would he'd have basically a way of saying there's somebody in the audience and he'd name a name or name a condition and ask them to come forward. Well, they were filling out prayer cards at the beginning of the service. And um, he had an earpiece in his ear and his wife would be whispering uh, what was on the prayer card and he'd be going, I'm getting the name Bill. And it's someone with a backache. And they go, oh my gosh, my name's Bill, I have a backache. And they're kind of going, well, I did just fill out a prayer card for that. That's amazing that he would know that. And it was a fraud, not simply kind of the work of the spirit. Um, and, and that was exposed, okay? That's the problem, is that we're so thirsty to see something unusual that we would rather see something unusual than something simply supernatural. What I mean by that is that there's a way that God expects us to naturally live a supernatural life, not unusually need a miracle or we can't move forward. There are people that kind of hold God hostage. God, if you don't do this miracle, then I'm quitting on you. Other people that think they're this great prize, God, if you do this miracle, you can have all of me. He's going, I might have enough of you, you know? Uh, <laughs> like you'd have more of me, but I might have enough of you. Um, and so we, we have this, this thought that somehow God has to do miracles today in my life, and he does do miracles today. But the miracles that he does are for the same reason he's always done them. And that's for him to get center stage, not you or me or anyone else. That when we're asking God for a miracle, bottom line is, God, would you be seen for who you are, is the prayer request, even more than, than the what it is we're trying to do. People have elaborate explanations for why there are no miracles. Whether you want to look at the idea that uh, when Moses saw the burning bush, there are people who say, oh, it was acacia wood. Acacia is great for charcoal, and it was over a um, volcano vent so that it was on fire, and it kind of kept the shape of the bush, but it really wasn't, like, not consuming, and it wasn't really God. And, and you know, I'm just kind of going, well, at least Moses should be able to go, I recognize that as a charcoal bush, but it's still talking to me. That's unusual. I mean, that, that, that is unusual. There are people who would say, what about uh, the crossing of, of the uh, Red Sea? And people go, well, actually, it was a reed sea, and it was a small, like, land bridge that went across, and anybody could have done it. Well, the miracle then is that going across the reed sea in shallow water, God was able to drown an entire Egyptian army, okay? Uh, so there, there is just things that you've got to be able to wrestle with, and you either have to say, didn't happen, or don't know how it happened, and somewhere in that gradation, every single person is going to punt on something called mystery. God is a God of mystery and delights in us trusting him more than figuring him out.
more than putting a micronic on him, he just wants us to somehow surrender to him. And that's what the purpose of a miracle is, is to go, who am I to think that I could negotiate, navigate, or manipulate you? You're the God of infinite wisdom, knowledge, power, compassion. And we come face to face, basically, with the God Almighty. So I want to um, talk a bit about the idea of a particular miracle today. John uses the word sign to let us understand that there is something behind the miracle. It points to something. It's a sign that who God is, who Jesus is, what he's about. In fact, in John, towards the end of his book, in chapter 20, he writes in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That's one of the basic purposes of a miracle. Okay, now here's the bad news. If you already believe that, then Jesus is saying, mission accomplished. And so you might have a tendency, oh, so if I want more miracles, I just don't believe. Jesus invites us to the idea, no, believe. When, he, when John continues to write, in the next chapter, or next chapter, chapter 21, it said Jesus did many other miracles as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. And so he's saying, you know, I've chosen what it looks like to portray Jesus in a way that you would believe on the things that he has done that are signposts to who he is. It's as though it's a major billboard that says he's a truth teller. Don't get hung up on the billboard. Focus in on the truth teller. That, that's the purpose. So I'm gonna tell this story and then I wanna come back and make a couple of observations. So the story is a familiar one. It's the uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's in John chapter 11. Jesus has been teaching and his popularity is growing, which means that his opposition is growing as well. So Jesus kind of takes a, um, a side trip out of Jerusalem, across the Jordan, uh, over more into the uh, Jericho area. And while he's ministering uh, across the Jordan River, um, Lazarus gets sick. His sisters send word to, La- to Jesus and they call him the one whom you have loved is ill. It says that when Jesus received those words, he waited four more days. And he told his disciples, Lazarus is sick. In fact, he's fallen asleep. And they're going, oh, well, great. If he's fallen asleep, he's going to get better. And he goes, no, I mean he's dead. And he said, actually, for your sake, I'm glad that he's died so that you might believe. Then they uh, go back over to Bethany, which is the hometown of um, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And when they get there, he finds Mary greeting him on the road. And the first thing, uh, or Martha, the first thing Martha says is, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Mary's gonna say the same thing. And eventually, even the mourners are gonna say, couldn't, the guy who does miracles have kept him 
from dying. Then Jesus moves towards the tomb and he tells him to uh, roll away the stone and he offers a prayer. And as he prays this prayer, he goes, Father, I know you hear me. I know you always hear me. So the reason I'm praying this prayer is so that the people right around me can hear it and that they would believe. So he calls him out of the tomb. He comes out of the tomb and then he tells them to uh, unwrap him from his grave clothes. And I have a feeling that he asked the people who'd wrapped him in the grave clothes, who declared him dead, to be the ones who unwrap him, who declare him alive. Now, I think that there was way more aha going on there than just simply the pragmatics of unwrapping him. So he unwraps him, and, and, and at that moment, people believe. I mean, I would think that'd be awesome. Can you imagine if, if somebody today during the service had a heart attack and we go, okay, we've had the deacons who take the offering, but now the, the deacons who bring people back to life, could you just come forward, you know, and, you know, I mean, no, it's a short list, but uh, so some, one of them comes forward and puts their hands on the person, the person raises from the dead, I'll guarantee you there'll be more people here next week. <laughs> and, and that's the weird part. We would be fascinated with, we want to see the show. You know, and the interesting thing for me isn't that there's people who believed. I can't believe there's a person there who didn't believe. But it says that many believed and others went and gave the report to the Jewish leaders. And as the Jewish leaders dialogued about it, they said, what are we doing? The more we let this guy keep doing signs, the more people are gonna believe in him. So let's put an end to it. And it says, and from that day on, they plotted to kill him. So let's go back and, and look a, a bit at that story. Um, the first thing I want you to understand is that John makes a big point out of making sure we know Jesus loves Lazarus. And the reason I want you to know that Jesus loves Lazarus is because uh, I meet people regularly who when God doesn't do the miracle they want in their life, they think that God doesn't love them, okay? So when we look at verse one of chapter 11, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha, verse three. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Same kind of phrase that John uses of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So there's no question even in their minds, even as he's sick, that Jesus loves him. Back down uh, about verse 33, when Jesus sees Mary and Martha and the other uh, mourners crying, it says Jesus saw their, her weeping and the Jews who come along with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept and the Jews said, see how he loved him? So I want us to realize that we're invited into understanding God loves us, miracle or not. It's a scary thing to preach this message because I have a feeling there's gonna be some of you who walk away thinking I'm saying there are no miracles. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that we can seek a miracle for very wrong reasons and then be upset with God when he doesn't do them. Okay? So as we look at this and we see that 
He loved him. And he, he was sick. He loved him and he died. He loved him. He's going to raise him from the dead. The bad news is Lazarus is going to die again. And it's funny because there are some people who go, well, you weren't really healed because you got sick again. Well, he wasn't really raised from the dead because he died again? I don't think so. He really was raised from the dead, but he wasn't given some kind of immortality. He was raised back to life he had before he died. So the second thing I want us to understand is that Jesus makes it clear what the purpose of miracle is. So in verse four of chapter 11, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. That's the purpose of miracle. It isn't our convenience. It isn't our painlessness. It isn't our forward progress. It's that God might be glorified and the son of God might be glorified. Verse 11, and after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. Verse uh, 23, saying to Lazarus' sister, your brother will rise again. She goes, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know that at the resurrection. That's theology, but my brother is dead. I'm in pain. Don't give me truth. Jesus goes on to say later when he says, bring him out of the tomb, and she goes, and, and Martha goes, it's been four days. He's gonna stink. Martha is kind of like the, you know, neat nick of the family. She's the one that, that previously when they had a dinner at the table was saying, Lord, don't you care? Tell my sister to help me fix this dinner. Now she's going, yeah, I don't know. Opening the, the tomb, he's gonna stink. She's still not cluing in. And he said, didn't I tell you? You're gonna see the glory of God. Didn't I tell you that your brother's gonna be raised from the dead? In fact, I told you I'm the resurrection and the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. And so... As he puts this all together, it's clear the purpose of a miracle is God to be seen as awesome. The purpose of a miracle is not to prove that he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Even when he prays the prayers, we've already said, so they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me the purpose of the miracle. So the result of the miracle, was, as we've seen this, first of all, there are many Jews who believe. It says so, um, in verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did believed him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them, what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is the man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So from that day on, they plotted to take away his life. (laughs) 
Do you see uh, the confusion? Do you feel the tension between I've come to do this miracle and I've done it for the glory of God and people are believing and then there's a group who don't. They don't believe. (laughs) They've seen something that they don't believe. Okay? They've watched a guy come out of the tomb and there's something that's keeping them from believing. It's interesting, in Luke, Jesus says uh, this, if if they don't believe or listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That's hard to believe in and of itself, isn't it? I mean, I've read Moses, I've read the prophets, but I'd sure like to see somebody raised from the dead. You know, I, I think somehow that, you know, I could read Exodus or Leviticus all day and if somebody just popped up who was dead, i go, okay, God's here. If I was reading Ezekiel, you know, I can get tired of reading Ezekiel. I don't think I'd get tired of watching people raised from the dead. And Jesus is saying, see, it's not about the miracle. It's about a posture of the heart. That, that if, they, if they're not open to the idea that there was a guy who did all kinds of miracles before Moses, I mean, some of them were called plagues. Remember the, the, kind of like the, the cosmic conflict that's going on between Egypt's gods and Israel's God and, and what's gonna happen? Israel uh, worships God, Egypt worships the sun God and so Israel's God causes darkness. Egypt worships the Nile as a source of life. And so God turns it to blood so that it becomes a source of toxic death. I mean, he's systematically showing himself superior to every one of their deities. A miracle after miracle after miracle. Explained away by some, believed by others. So I want to... uh, read a quote that comes from a, a man who wrote a book um, that kind of, um, he, he took on um, Dawkins' book on the God delusion, but he's not a Christian, he's an agnostic, and he wrote a book called The Devil Delusion. And, and I, I just want you to hear how he kind of takes on, not Christianity, he's not even defending Christianity, he just takes on a worldview that is in a sense closed and doesn't allow for miracles. Has anyone provided proof of God's non-existence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it's here? Not even close. Have our sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so long as it is not a religious thought? close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, and what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy in the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. 
his assessment is that there had been a galvanized posture of unbelief so that nothing could be let in, not even a resurrected guy. And it isn't just some kind of secular naturalism of the 20th century. That's what was facing these Jewish leaders the moment they saw uh, Lazarus come out of the tomb. They were entrenched in unbelief to where there were things that they were so in love with that they couldn't let go of those to love God and let him be in charge of when and where he would do a miracle. And that the why of the miracle would be so that he would get glory, not us. So let me ask you a question because I'm sure every one of you has asked God for a miracle. I've done that almost every decade, but um, with a wife with cancer who fought it for seven years, prayed for healing, every day, in fact, had a daughter who, um, when she graduated from high school, said, I'm leaving this home, it's a house of sorrow. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, since I was in sixth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and all through high school, she said, the one prayer I asked God for, he said no to, why would I believe in that God? Can you see the tension between, God, now you have to do a miracle or I won't believe in you? That, that that's not the bartering system God's invited us to. When he's saying, if they won't believe Moses, they won't believe a resurrected guy. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I think they might. And Jesus is saying, no, they won't. It's a matter of heart's posture, not a matter of evidence. There isn't enough evidence to convince the person who's already said, no matter what happens, I won't believe. So let me give you one more example of someone who um, didn't get a miracle in her life. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. She's 68 years old. In 1967, 50 years ago this year, when she was 18 years old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, miss calculating the depth of the water and fractured her spine so that she was a quadriplegic from the neck down from 18 years old to now. For 50 years, she's been a quadriplegic. In, in her book that describes her biography, she said that in the two years of rehabilitation, I experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubt. But in her occupational therapy, she learned how to paint with a uh, brush in her teeth, eventually learned how to write like that, sold some of her paintings, has written over 50 books, recorded albums of her praising God, founded an organization called Johnny and Friends that, that now has established a, a campsite where um, families with uh, disability children in them can go and have a family camp experience, a wounded warrior project where the same thing with those who have been wounded um, as uh, military veterans, uh, their families are able to come and um, have a weekend or a week of camp together. She starred in a movie about her own life. 
she actually even uh, started a thing called Wheels for the World, where wheelchairs are refurbished by volunteer inmates at prisons uh, and refurbished and sent around the world so that in third world countries or emerging world countries, there are um, physical therapists that then uh, retrofit them to particular people with the disabilities in, in those countries. When Houston happens and we send uh, trucks from here with stuff on it, her organization saying, but what do we do about the disabled? How do we get somebody who can't move or walk? How do we get that person to the food? How do we get that food to that person? How do we get them out of the stuckness of their position or at least minister to them? Can you see how um, if God's glory is the uptick, that, that when somebody's as an 18-year-old saying, God, heal me, God, do a miracle, and God said, well, actually, if it's for my glory, you have no idea what I'm going to do with you as a quadriplegic. Would you trust me with that? Would you be willing to let me have your life and tell my story through your limitations? Or are you going to hold me hostage and that if I don't heal you, you won't believe in me? That's all I really wanted to say today was that... Um, God is a God of miracles. And he wants to do them. But he wants to do them for his glory. So the next time you ask God for a miracle, let's ask him for that. That he'd be seen, that he'd be huge, that people would believe in him. That, that's why he does them. And, and that's why Jesus was actually glad that the man he loved had died that his disciples' faith might grow when he did the miracle of bringing that man back to life. So I want to pray today that the miracle this table represents of the God of the universe who's done nothing wrong ever has come to earth to take on all the wrong that you and I will ever do that we might be reconciled to him. This is a miracle. And he invites us to live that out. So I'm going to pray that at that end, that that might be our experience today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you broke into world history by sending your son. Jesus, thank you that the natural laws can't explain your resurrection and so we believe you as God. And Lord, I confess that I've asked you to let me see miracles and to let me see angels and all kinds of things that I would prefer to see besides you and the work you do in my life and the work you do through my life. So I pray for my friends and the people I don't even know that are here today that we would be willing to trust you not just with the result but the script. If we can serve you like Johnny then let us be willing to embrace that. And if we serve you like Lazarus as somebody who's raised then, then make sure that you get the glory for that. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.